I, uh, I took a break from watching the news for quite a period of time, um, and, and just recently uh, subscribed to the NBC Nightly News podcast um, on my phone, just to kind of see every once in a while, at least catch a couple times a week, uh, at least one interpretation of what's going on in the world. And so, so I started watching that, and after you take a break from something for a while and then get back to it, you notice things that maybe you never noticed before. And one thing that I noticed in starting to watch the news again is that nightly news anchors don't smile much. Have you noticed that? I mean, if you want to watch smiley news anchors, then you've got to turn the news on in the morning when it's like sort of the news. They're like, you know, talking entertainment and cooking with a chef or something online, and the news lasts for like three hours or whatever. But if you watch the nightly news, most of the time, those news anchors aren't smiling all that much. And, and, and it's actually appropriate. It would be weird if they did smile. We'd be a bit um, concerned if they were smiling because much of the news that they're reporting is not news worth smiling about. They're, they're talking about another shooting somewhere, another tense situation somewhere in the world, people missing somewhere in the world. And so we don't want to see them smiling as they're reporting that news. But the other thing that I've noticed as I've gotten back into the news is that, that now, towards the end of the news, almost every night, and it usually starts with the words, and now finally, um, there, there's some news where the news anchor starts to smile. They try and put like one happy story, some good news at the end of all the bad news that makes you smile just a little bit. And I get excited because I see, you know, Brian Williams starts to smile a little bit. I'm like, oh good, he's going to share some good news. But then I'm always let down, because the good news is usually something kind of just trivial. Like compared to the, the weightiness of all the bad news that's shared, the good news is just so little and trivial. Like, hey, good news, Google is now test marketing a computer that you can wear on your face. Well, okay, that's fine. It's just with all that bad news, I wanted something more than that. We all want to hear good news. We all need to hear good news. And we don't want it to be trivial. We want real good news, meaty good news, good news that will do something not only to us, but to the world around us. And thankfully, we're in the right place for that this morning. Uh, Brian Williams won't be sharing that with us, um, but God's Word shares that with us. And so we're going to open up God's Word this morning. And you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if you brought your Bible with you. We do put the words up on the screen as well, in case you didn't bring a Bible. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're going to be. But we are, we've already been celebrating through singing songs this truth that Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead, and that this matters. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The whole chapter is great. I encourage you to maybe even go home and read the rest of it today sometime. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 11. And it's our custom here that as we read God's Word, I'm going to share a lot of words this morning. Um, and mine, you can, you, I want you to test them. Don't just take my words because I'm up here with a microphone on. But, but I do want you to hear these words that we have in the Bible as the Word of God because they are the Word of God. And so if you're able to stand, let's stand as I read God's Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. 
If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. You can be seated. As usual, there's a number of new people here this morning, so just want to direct your attention. We do have a sermon notes and application guide insert in the bulletin each week, and so you can use that to take notes if that would be helpful for you and some ways for you to maybe work on some application of the Word as well as you go home in the end there. A little bit of context, we're jumping into 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and uh, not a lot of context for us, but I want to give you a little bit. There's some bad news going on in the church of Corinth, and so they have written to the man who came to really get their church started. And Paul is writing a letter back to them, and the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this letter. In fact, every word of this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to Paul to write this letter to this church that was struggling. This church that was struggling in a city called Corinth. Now Corinth is, is or was a city in southern Greece, a pretty important port city that was known for a few things. One of the things it was known for is the, the temples that existed there to a number of different gods. They worshipped many gods in Corinth. It was kind of a hyper-sexualized culture there in Corinth, and they were a people that desperately needed some good news. And so the Holy Spirit sends Paul as somebody who, who has heard and received the gospel, the good news, and he's going to share the good news with the people in Corinth. And as he does that, many people hear the good news, and as a result of hearing the good news, they believe the good news, and they become Christians, and they get discipled, and then they begin proclaiming the good news to other people, and they get discipled, and so the church in Corinth grows. But then there's some issues in the church, and so Paul writes them this letter. And interesting, towards the end of the letter, that he decides to share with them some things that are really pretty basic. They probably would have been the very first things that Paul taught them when he met them. But they still need it now as much as they did on the day when Paul first arrived in Corinth. And I don't know about you, I don't know how long you've been, maybe maybe you come to church because it's Easter and you don't normally come to church. Maybe, maybe you come to church every week and you've been doing so for many, many years. But the good news that we need to hear this morning is something that all of us need to hear. Because just as Paul preached the gospel in Corinth and expected the church to respond the good news, like if I'm listening to the NBC Nightly News, I don't. there's not any response required 
Um, I can watch that, and when I'm done, and, and when it's done or I'm done, I can just hit done, and I'm done. That's it. I don't have to respond to that news. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news that we have to respond to in some way. And so let's look at verses 1 and 2. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in the first four verses. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 where we read this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach to you. So Paul's giving them this reminder. He's calling them brothers or brothers and sisters. These are, these are the people who had put their faith in Jesus. And Paul is saying to them, listen, I want to remind you of the good news. You need to hear this again. I've already preached it to you, but I want you to hear it again. And here's what we do with the good news. There's going to be three responses that we're going to see in verses 1 and 2. Three responses to the good news. Let's look at the first one. Here's what it says. The gospel I preached to you, which you received. Okay? The first response that we ought to have to the good news, gospel and good news mean the same thing, okay? The first response that we ought to have to the good news is that we must receive it. For them, that ha this happened in the past. And so that verb is received. It's, it's past. It's aorist active indicative if you care about that stuff. But it's something that, that happened at a certain point. Okay, so at a certain point, they heard the gospel. And what did they do with it? They received it. They believed it. They took it in. They received the good news. And just if we were kind of just illustrating this, it would be like um, right now I'm standing, but at one point I stood. I was sitting over there, and then I stood. Okay, that's an action that happened in the past. That's what they did here. They received the gospel. But then I want you to look at what happens next. Which you receive, in which you stand. In which you stand. That, the tense of that verb is perfect active indicative, which means that it's something that took place in the past, but it has ongoing results. Okay, so in the past, you received this good news, but now, currently, right now, you are standing on the good news. Okay, so not only did I stand at one point in the past, I stood, now I am standing. Okay, so the gospel, the good news, is not something you just hear once and say, all right, that's good enough for me, I'll take it. It's something that we continue to stand on. Okay? And then, the third thing, verse 2, and by which you are being saved. That is present passive indicative, which talks about a continuous action that, that somebody else is performing on the subject. And so, if I were going to say, I want to stand here forever, I stood at one point, I am standing here now, and I want to stand here forever, ongoing, I would need somebody to come or something to come and kind of prop me up because I'm not going to be able to stand here forever without some help. Okay, And so the gospel is not something, the good news of Jesus Christ is not just something that we receive once. It must be received once, but then we also much, must stand on it presently and we must hold on to it and let it hold on to us until the end. So kind of a past, present, and future thing that's going on there. Just to kind of illustrate this a little bit, the reason, I just want to highlight that, that I don't care how many times you've heard this, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you need, to, you need to hear the gospel over and over again. You need to constantly be hearing the good news. Um, I was a youth pastor before I became the pastor here, 
and as a youth pastor, had opportunities to go on many, many road trips with students, and many of them were memorable. Um, we, uh, we got a church bus at one point, and so I had to go get my CDL with a passenger endorsement so I could also be youth pastor slash bus driver. That's, that's a picture of the bus. It's kind of grainy, but that's the, the bus that I drove. And in order to drive students around on that bus, we, we went on one trip um, that, that was particularly memorable. It was a trip. We were traveling home. Uh, we lived in Yankton, South Dakota, and we were in Lincoln, Nebraska. And the weather was getting a bit iffy on Saturday, and so some of the other groups that were at this event that we were at decided to leave Saturday night, but we thought, well, we can stick it out. We'll go home on Sunday. And so we went home on Sunday rather than Saturday and uh, stopped, went to church somewhere, went and ate, and then we tried to make our way home through kind of some snow and slush and blowing and that kind of stuff. And uh, there was a, I was driving the bus, and there was a couple of other cars in our caravan driven by our adult leaders. And we were actually, we decided to go up the interstate because it would be safer. And so we were traveling in Iowa on Interstate 29, headed north. And as we were traveling, Nathan uh, was in a pickup behind me, one of my adult leaders driving with all of our stuff and a couple of students. And he called me on my cell phone and let me know that I was spraying some stuff up on his windshield in addition to the slush and the snow from the road. I was also spraying up onto his windshield oil. And I don't know a lot about cars, but I figured that's probably not a good thing, to be spraying oil out of your vehicle onto the vehicle behind you. And Nathan agreed with me that that was not a good thing. And he and his dad actually own a bus, run a bus company. And so I figured I'm just the dumb pastor. He's the bus man. If he says to pull over, I'm pulling over. So I pulled over at the next exit. Uh, he did some looking around and found that we had no oil left at all in our engine. Uh, there was a leak in the seal of the high-pressure oil pump or something. If, I, if that doesn't even make sense, it's probably because it's not true. I just I can't remember all the words. Um, but there was something wrong, and we were losing oil, okay? Um, and so we didn't, have, we didn't have oil left. And Nathan called his dad and said, uh, his dad and him, remember, ran a bus company. And so he said, Dad, we've got a bunch of students, and we're not going to be able to fix the bus. Can you just come in one of our school buses and pick us all up and get us back home? And his dad reminded him that state law required that you get permission to carry students across state lines. You have to get that a couple days in advance. And so he said, I can't come all the way down to Iowa and get you. You have to make it to the South Dakota state line. And so we said, okay, how are we going to do that without burning up the engine? He said, buy all the oil in town, wherever, whatever town you're in, buy all of it and, uh, and just pull over every once in a while and just dump it in. And it's just going to, don't tell the Environmental Protection Agency about this, okay? Um, but this is what we did. So we bought a bunch of, we bought a bunch of this. We, we just had jugs and jugs of, Rotella diesel oil that we would just pull over every once in a while and just pour into the van or the bus. And then and, and it would leak out and we'd pull over a while later and it's empty. And so we'd dump some more in and we just kept doing that. And our goal was to get to the promised land or <laughs> the South Dakota state line, right? This is where the illustration totally breaks down. We're in Iowa trying to get to South Dakota, right? Um, and so, so we're trying to get there. And in order to keep running, we had to keep adding oil. The point of me telling you that whole story is this. There is not a time in which we, even as Christians, 
do not need to be continuously filled with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus. We need to have it poured into us over and over and over again until we reach the promised land, which is way better than the South Dakota state line. Okay? This is what we need. Paul, Paul ends those two verses by saying this, If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. Well, we've been talking a lot about the good news, the fact that we all need the good news. It doesn't matter if you're coming in here today, not a Christian, coming in here today as a Christian. We all need the good news, but we haven't even defined that yet. But thankfully, I think verses 3 and 4 are the best definition of the gospel that we have in all of Scripture. And so in verses 3 and 4, we read this. What is the good news? Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received. Okay, Paul says, I've got the good news. I'm going to sum it up for you right here. This is the good news. I preached to you because I first received it, then I preached it. Here's what it is. Here's what the good news is. That Christ died. Okay, we gathered as a church on Friday evening to remember this. That this really happened. That Christ really died after being unfairly tried and mocked and spit upon and flogged. And, and torched in many ways, that he really was put to death. That he would carry a cross to the top of a hill, and he would later be nailed to that cross, and he would die there. His heart would stop beating. Really dead. That he died. And why? Look at the very next part of that verse. That Christ died for our sins. There was a purpose. This was not a meaningless death. This was a death that God had planned to take place. This was God's way of rescuing his lost people. That Jesus had to be put to death. He died for our sins in our place as our substitute. He was the innocent one and he took on our guilt. Right? So that's what happened. Christ died, but he didn't just die. He died for our sin. That was the purpose, because we in our selfish sinfulness were rebellious towards God, enemies of God. We needed a Savior, a rescuer to come and to stand in our place and bear the punishment, the wrath that we deserved to bear. Jesus came to do this. We quoted on Friday night, 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, For our sake God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only way. And then Paul continues, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried. We talked about that on Friday night as well. After he died, his lifeless body, the nails were removed and his lifeless body removed from the cross, and he was placed in a tomb, buried. And all day, all night, Friday night, there was a stone laid in front of this tomb. And all night, Friday night, Jesus' body laid in the tomb dead. All day, Saturday, Jesus' body laid in the tomb dead. All night, Saturday night, Jesus' body laid in the tomb dead. But when they came on Sunday morning, the stone had been rolled away, and they found that Jesus was risen. That's the next part that Paul shares. That he was buried, it says in verse 4, and that he was raised on the third day, 
in accordance with the Scriptures. So this is the Gospel. You want the Gospel in a nutshell? It's that Jesus Christ came and He died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again. This is the good news. And without this, we really have nothing. We really don't. Jesus could not be held by the tomb. Death couldn't stop Him. The Father had accepted the Son's sacrifice, and He raised Him from the dead. And if that didn't happen, then we might as well have just eaten a couple sausage links this morning, had some pancakes, gone on an Easter egg hunt, popped some jelly beans, gotten in the car, and gone home. What's the purpose of all of this if Jesus was not raised from the dead? If they find Jesus' bones someday and say, we know for sure these are the bones of Jesus, then we might as well go worship Buddha. But we know for sure that Jesus died and that he rose from the dead. This sets him above Buddha and any other god, and that is why we worship him, a living God. So a few verses later in chapter, in chapter 15, verse 17, Paul will say this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, pointless, meaningless, void, foolish. You're wasting your time at this church. Go home if Jesus is not alive. And you are still in your sin. Bad news for us. If Jesus has not risen from the dead. But the good news, the good news is that he really has. This really happened. We spend most of our time in verses 1 through 4, but I want to just touch on the, the remaining few verses here as well. Many people will doubt this. Uh, we see this as a miraculous thing that God did. Other people will look at it and say, that sounds ridiculous. So you're, you, okay, so, so here's the good news that you're trying to share with me. Now, about 2,000 years ago, there was this man named Jesus who was actually God, but also still totally a human, and he worked as a carpenter for the majority of his life and then spent a few years as a rabbi, got really popular. They nailed him to a cross like they did many other people, but that he got put in a tomb and that then the tomb was empty, and you're going to spend your life worshiping him a lot of people to a lot of people that just doesn't make a lot of sense and we better understand if you're a christian you better understand that this is true you better be able to defend you know i really believe this this really is true how do we know that it's true well that's what paul's trying to teach the corinthians right here in the rest of this passage this really is true and so look at verses five through seven here's what paul says you want to know whether this is true or not and that he appeared, Jesus, the risen Jesus, who had been in the tomb, who had died on the cross, appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Listen, this good news that Jesus is alive is good news for those who are close to God. Jesus' disciples had followed him, for many years with a lack of understanding of what exactly was going on most of the time. But now, after he has risen from the dead, Jesus is going to come and specifically appear to each of them. And not only them, but 500 others, at least. Paul's not sharing everything that happened, but at least he appeared to 500 
other people, eyewitnesses. And Paul points out, he, he makes, makes it clear that, hey, listen, some of them are still alive. Why is that important for him to say that? Well, it's important for him to say that because you can go ask them. I'm not making this stuff up. This is not legend written down in a book. You can go talk to this guy who lives on this street, and he saw Jesus alive. And now again, a skeptic might say, well, yeah, but it was just the people that really wanted it to be true, right? I mean, he showed up to his disciples. Of course, their life was kind of depending on it. They didn't want to look foolish, so they just kind of believed it because it was convenient for them. Well, listen, it wasn't convenient for them. The majority of them would be put to death because they believed that this took place. This was not a convenient truth for them to kind of just hold on to and not look foolish. This was something they were willing to die for. But it's not only for those who were close to God, it's those who were far from God. Jesus also appeared to a man who had spent his life, before Jesus appeared to him, who had spent his life persecuting the people, making sure that the people who worshipped and believed this stuff about Jesus, making sure that they died or got put in prison. And Jesus appeared to this man, this man who was very much opposed to him. Jesus did not come, and the good news is not just for those who feel a bit close to God, but he also has come for those who are far from him, maybe even opposed to him. Look at verses 8 and 9. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, hey, listen, I don't deserve this. Of all the people that Jesus could come and show up to, why me? I am the least. I am unworthy to be called an apostle. When they were all beginning this work, I was still persecuting the church. I didn't deserve this, but he came and he showed up to me when I was far from him, when I was opposed to him. This is good news for those who are far from God. Some of you might be wondering this morning, what am I doing here today? Like, I mean, maybe I know what I'm doing. I'm kind of trying to make my family happy, or this is just what happens on Easter. But as you're thinking about your relationship with God, you'd say, I'd be one of those people that I'm pretty far from Him. Like, really? I'm not that interested in all this stuff that you guys are so happy about, that you guys are all singing about, that stuff that He's preaching about. Not really all that excited about that. Listen, the good news is good news for you because Jesus comes to people who are seemingly far from him. He wants all people to hear the good news. And so, we've got uh, the last couple of verses here. Last couple of verses, we talked about the truth that Jesus, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus are the good news. The best news that we could ever hear. And it's good news for all people, for those of us who are, are not yet worshiping Jesus as Lord and Savior, for those of us who have been worshiping Jesus as Lord and Savior for some time. We need to, if you, if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. That's how you're saved. There's not any other way. You, know, you can't like find some other path, some other road. There's only one way, and it's by putting your faith in Jesus by acknowledging before Him that you are sinful and that your only hope is not that you're going to try and get better, but that your only hope is that Jesus was perfect and that He died 
for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and that He rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Do you believe that? Have you received the Gospel? And those, are, those of us that have received the Gospel, are we letting it still just sink in and causing us to continuously repent of our sin and trust in Jesus and rejoice and worship Him day in and day out? We need that. The good news changes us. It's not some, some, some ridiculous good news like Google makes computer glasses. That doesn't matter. It only makes you smile for a short period of time. This is good news that changes things for all of eternity. So Paul ends with these two verses, verses 10 and 11. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. The gospel changed Paul. Paul saw the risen Savior, and as a result, not only did his name change to Paul, as a result, everything about his life changed. He said, it's only by God's grace that I am what I am. He used to be zealous about persecuting the church. Now he was zealous for building the church. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, changed this man. The good news of Jesus Christ changes us still today, 2,000 years later. When you hear the good news and receive the good news, it turns you from an enemy to a preacher. It can turn you from a skeptic to a believer. It can turn you from a complacent person to a worshiper of Jesus. Another thing that changed historically for the church is it changed the day of worship. For many years now, the church, the Christian church, has been gathering on Sunday morning. It's kind of fun to think about the truth that this is fun in here, this pancake, sausage-smelling uh, mix of people here in this, in this little space here in Iowa Falls. This is happening in other churches in this area and all around the world in different languages. People are singing and proclaiming the truth that Jesus is alive, and they're doing it on Sunday. This is a pretty significant change. Now, most of the early Christians were Jewish people, and they had gathered. Their Sabbath day was from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday for generations, and they held on to that religiously. But for something to change them from, from worshiping on that day to worshiping on Sunday... It had to be something significant and life-changing like the truth that Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And so we gathered together this Sunday, but guess what? We were here last Sunday. And then the Sunday before, we were here too. And next Sunday, we're going to be here as well. Now, I don't know if, you're, if you live in town here. I hope that you'd be back here to join us as we worship this God Sunday after Sunday. We don't just worship a risen Savior on Easter we worship a risen Savior day after day, Sunday after Sunday, but not just Sundays, but Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays as well. Our God is alive. And because of that, we have hope that we can be moved from death to life. That gives us great hope, not just on this day, but hopefully each and every day after this.